there's been a political earthquake in Honduras, and it's really good news for democracy in this hemisphere. I'm Bert Cohen, and with your help, we are keeping democracy alive. What's going on? He's not breathing. Can you get a pulse? Barely. Call a code. Get Nambia back from the nurse's station. Heart's still working, means synapses are still firing. We just need to get a message through. Prosperity for the few, the rights of U.S. corporations to extract from the land of Central America and exploit the people of Central America. There's a huge gap between public opinion and public policy. People don't feel that they can do very much. I speak tonight for the dignity of man. Even more than in most Western countries, our news media here in the United States doesn't pay attention to many important stories if they do not that day directly affect American interests or if there's no spectacle involved. But we are hardly an island, and often what happens outside our borders, especially in this age of connectedness in terms of the very future of the planet, there's news we can't afford to brush aside Yet we don't know about it. For example, Honduras. Everybody listening has, of course, heard of it and knows that it's somewhere in Central America. But did you know that just a few weeks ago there was a political earthquake in Honduras? Not a bad one. In fact, possibly a very good one. It may signal a movement to the actual left throughout the Mesoamerican region, probably better known as Central and South America. And to those of us on the left, it is uniquely invigorating. The fact that it was basically ignored by the mainstream media should also tell us something. So without any more attempts to build up curiosity and enthusiasm, our guest today, let me introduce Orlando Perez to tell us about the stunning election of not only Honduras's first woman president, but what appears to be a solid mandate to move the country leftward coming on the heels of a rather brutish government which overthrew an elected government with the support of Hillary Clinton in 2009. Orlando Perez, thanks so much for being with us on Keeping Democracy Alive. Well, thank you very much, uh, Bert. Uh, Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Orlando Perez is Dean of the School of Liberal Arts and Sciences at the University of North Texas at Dallas. His teaching and research interests include comparative politics, Latin American politics, U.S.-Latin American relations, civil-military relations, public opinion, and empirical democratic theory. He's carried out field research in Panama, Nicaragua, El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, Ecuador, and Venezuela. As a consultant, he's worked on public opinion surveys, democratization, civil-military relations, and anti-corruption issues for the U.S. Agency for International Development, and the UN Development Program. He's a recipient of a grant from the United States Institute for Peace for his project studying the transformation of civil-military relations in post-authoritarian Central America. He's the author of Political Culture in Panama, Democracy After Invasion, Civil-Military Relations in Post-Conflict Societies, Transforming the Role of the Military in Central America, co-editor of Latin American Democracy, Emerging Reality, or Endangered Species, and Democracy and Security in Latin American State Capacity and Governance Under Stress. Suffice it to say, he knows his stuff. (laughs) Again, thanks for being with us, Orlando. There's no lack 
of military coups in the last hundred years of Mesoamerican government history. Yet what's happening in Honduras is, as you say, quote, a positive sign for a peaceful transition of power, end of quote. That alone is reason for optimism. You further say the election of, and I hope I pronounce this right, Shamara Castro represents a significant departure from recent history dominated by the national and liberal parties, and it presents possible democratic renewal for the Central American country. End of quotes. Boy, we need a democratic renewal here in the United States. Among obstacles, the state media clearly favored the ruling party and its presidential candidate. So if you would, please, take a few minutes to tell us about the sort of peaceful, well, but there's a peaceful transition to power, but it's a significant political earthquake that happened at November 28th, and the just the 21st century context in which it happened. Perhaps most remarkable was the margin of victory. Tell us about that, please. Enough of my introduction. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Bert. Uh, it's a pleasure to be with you. Uh, and you're absolutely right that uh, that this is an earthquake uh, in, in Honduras. Uh, the, the victory of Xiomara uh, Castro de Zelaya, uh, the wife of the former president, uh, Manuel Zelaya, uh-huh. uh, on November 28th, um, uh, marks a real uh, uh, break with uh, uh, the past in terms of uh, political culture in in, in Honduras. Uh, the last twelve years um, has have been uh, governed by uh, the national uh, party. Uh, Honduras uh, traditionally has been ruled uh, by uh, a duopoly, two traditional parties. The National Party and the Liberal Party, um, they are both essentially conservative status quo uh, political uh, parties. They differ on personalities and um, uh, and and some regional uh, differences in terms of support. But they're really pretty much uh, two sides of the same uh, kind of elite uh, elite coin. Uh-huh. Um, uh, Castro uh, comes out of uh, her. Her husband actually comes out of the liberal tradition, but when he was governing, he tried to break out of that duopoly and try to um, uh, develop uh, a sort of independent political movement more towards the left, and he uh, uh, tried to ally himself with uh, Chavez and Venezuela. He uh, this was uh, between 2005 and 2009. Uh, he uh, joined ALBA, the, the, Ali- the Bolivarian alliance that Chavez created. He raised the minimum wage. He worked to provide land title to small farmers, et cetera. Um, we can talk about his ouster in the military coup of 2009. But, uh, but Xiomara Castro is an interesting figure because uh, until he was ousted in 2009, very few people had heard of her. She was a traditional housewife supporting her husband's political career and a very traditional first lady opening hospitals and, and, and you know, caring for, for little children and stuff. Nobody had heard of her in terms of politics. She was launched politically by the protests that occurred after the 2009 coup uh, that ousted her husband. She led those protests uh, in 2009 because he was obviously sent to, uh, into exile. 
Uh, and then when he was allowed back uh, in the country in 2011 and formed uh, this new party, uh, the uh, Libertad y Refundación, or Liberty and Refoundation Party, Libre, um, for short, uh, she took on a leadership role because he is he is prohibited uh, from from running, and she had taken a leadership role uh, right after the coup in in leading uh, his his supporters and and the protest. Um, she uh, she ran uh, in 2013 uh, and and lost, uh, and she ran again in uh, 2017 uh, and 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 lost again. Now in 2017, she um, she she withdrew from the presidential elections and actually supported uh, the guy who is currently her vice president. Um, uh, in a very controversial, the 2017 elections were extremely controversial and uh, by all standards uh, manipulated and, and, and fraudulent. Uh, 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 Juan Orlando Hernandez, the current sitting president, won uh -huh. two percentage points. Two percentage points. But her two percentage points. And it was clear that there was a lot of, uh, of you know, stolen ballots and changed ballot sheets. And and the National Party really went to town on 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 kind of uh, manipulating the electoral process. Plus, the whole infrastructure back in 2017 uh, was really rigged uh, in favor of the of the two major parties and particularly the then ruling party. Um in the in the last four years, she has basically uh, built up her um, her stature. She has built up her uh, political uh, support, and of course, uh, the the last four years have been disastrous in uh, in in Honduras, and uh, and and the pandemic made things even worse. So I think uh, conditions were ripe for a change, uh, but I think it was surprising. Uh, her margin of victory. Now, polls showed her winning. Uh, so polls did show that she was ahead, particularly after she was able to form an alliance with um, a guy named Salvador Nasrallah, who is her uh, vice president, uh -huh. uh, vice presidential candidate, uh, who had she had run as his vice presidential candidate in 2017. Uh, he was going to run. They were going to run separately, and they uh, decided to unite forces against uh, the, the the entrenched political parties. And uh, and so I think that alliance with Nasrallah uh, was very very helpful. And um, and 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 I think the frustration. The, the results of the pandemic, the, the weight of corruption and violence and crime uh, just took its toll on, on, on the National Party, yeah. and, and people came out and voted. Um, uh, well, I must say it was the highest, it was the highest, just one, one point, just and, and I'll, and I'll uh, what, it was the highest uh, uh, turnout um, in, uh, in any election in Honduras, since uh, since democracy was was since electoral democracy was restored 
in the mid 1980s. So it was it was a significant mandate. She is at this point with about 98 percent of the votes counted. Uh-huh. Uh, she is leading her nearest rival, the mayor of Tegucigalpa, by about fourteen uh, percent. Uh, the The margin has narrowed a little bit, which was expected as more votes were counted. Uh, but it's still substantial. That is a huge win, and I must say, as you describe, she, she uh, uh, linking up with her opponent. Uh, putting the country first ahead of one's political ambitions. What a concept. Wouldn't it be nice if that happened more often? And Indeed. I, Indeed. I, I know that uh, you know people have a picture of, of Central America, Mesoamerica in general, and I know it, it used to be, and maybe it still is, the economic situation is that there's a few ruling families and then everybody else with very little. Was that the case in Honduras, or was it, or was it uh, sort of different from that model? Oh, no. Uh, Honduras, uh, as you probably know, and, and many of your listeners probably know, is the original banana republic. The term banana republic was, was coined to describe Honduras in the early part of the 20th century when it was dominated by, uh, the economy was essentially dominated by the United Fruit Company. Mm -hmm. And while, uh, you know, there have been obvious changes to the economic model uh, in in Honduras, it is still the second poorest country in the region, second only to 80. Wow. Uh, Over 60% of the population lives uh, under the poverty uh, line. Uh, which is about, um, you know, five, $5 a day or so, okay. less than that. Mm. So it's a very poor country. It is a country where the economy is, um, is dominated by, again, a few, uh, a, a, a few uh, wealthy families, a few, uh, uh, you know, uh, commercial and industrial interests, uh, where foreign uh, companies and foreign interests have a significant mm-hmm. role in in the in the economic model, and the national party in the last twelve years has opened the economy further to foreign investment. Now, you know, for some in Honduras, that has. Uh, been beneficial, mm-hmm. and, and and there is a slightly growing middle class of professionals, um, and of course, very wealthy uh, Hondurans yeah. who have benefited from that. But it 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 hasn't really permeated down to the poor, uh, to to the to the mass of the of the poor Hondurans, and particularly in rural areas. I mean, some of the some of the economic sure. benefits have been. Um, have been uh, segregated and it, it, to to the to the large cities to Tegucigalpa, the capital, San Pedro Sula, which is an industrial, uh, is kind of the industrial heartland of of uh, of the country. But the rural areas are still uh, very very poor, and and we see it in the migration. We see it oh, in yes. the thousands, hundreds of thousands of Hondurans that leave the country. Uh, every every year, and uh, recent polling suggests that over half of the population, when asked if they have plans to emigrate, say they do. And it takes—I I just can't imagine—you know—getting up and leaving your home 
and and going into the unknown that's pretty scary yeah. stuff it would take one heck of a lot to motivate over half the population to desire to emigrate and absolutely and and you know trump had his rather obviously racist wall to keep out those people uh from from central america uh and she shamora castro has her work cut out for her i am just amazed at that and i would think I, we did a show recently about Peru and how they, the people in the countryside, the regular working people, uh, elected one of their own as president uh, in right. Peru. And I wonder if, I'm guessing that a lot of the people from the, what we would call flyover area uh -huh, in the United States, perhaps came out to vote for her. Are they, uh, there used to be, uh, uh, you know, significant left in the um prairie populism part of America a long time ago, but now it's all kind of right wing. Um, what, what about that? Uh, how much of her margin of victory was, do you think, uh, people from the ignored, abandoned countryside? Uh, I, I think significant, but if you look at her margin of victory, she, she uh, I, I believe, and I haven't checked uh, uh, today, but I believe she has won, um, I think, in every... Uh, province or department as they call them uh, -huh. uh in, in in honduras except one one small uh area uh in the uh west southwestern part of the of the country but her victory i mean uh, when you're talking about a 15 point uh margin i mean she's getting about 51 percent he's getting about 36 percent somewhere around there uh, when you're looking at that margin, it's it's pretty widespread. Uh, she won uh, in the capital. She won in San Pedro Sula, big. Uh, she she won in the eastern uh, rural part of the country uh, where the Liberal Party um, used to have mm. its base. Mm. Um, I mean, what's interesting about Libre, what's interesting about her party uh, and her husband's party is that um, – it, it certainly draws a lot of new voters. It draws on a lot of new voters. It draws on disenchanted voters, uh, alienated voters from either uh, the national and the liberal party voters who, who you know, say a pox on both houses. Mm -hmm. um, but it also it also uh, draws uh, heavily on 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 the liberal party as well on the sector of the Liberal Party that remained loyal to Celaya, the so-called Celayistas. Um, and so you see, for example, that the Liberal Party is getting about nine and a half percent. So they, they've really been decimated by, uh, by, the, uh, by, by the emergence of, of Libre. So, so uh, you know, and, and, it's, and, and it's understandable. Uh, Manuel Celaya, when he was when he was ousted in in the coup in two thousand and nine, that coup was supported by a sector uh, of the of, of his own party, of the Liberal Party, who who saw him as a threat mm. uh, in terms of moving to 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 the left, um, and and they've remained loyal to him, and and they remain and they're now voting uh -huh. for. For Libre, there's also a, a, a significant amount of voters, new voters, voters who perhaps didn't vote 
in any of the previous elections, and particularly in the 2017 elections, who uh, who support um, her running mate, Salvador Nasrallah's new party, uh, the the so-called savior of Honduras party. That's the name of it. It's yeah. it's, it's it's a play on his on his name, but Salvador means savior. Oh right, sure. So 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 um, so it's the savior party. Um, and what's interesting about Salvador Nasrallah is, is that he. Um, he's a he's 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 a he's a new player on the scene, uh, and his and his politics are very vague, uh, other than anti-corruption. He ran on anti-corruption wow. in 2017. Uh, that was his his thing this this time. But I think on social issues and some uh, and some economic issues, he's actually to the right of Xiomara uh, Castro de Salaya, and 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 so it's going to be yeah. interesting to see how she maneuvers and manages that coalition because uh-huh. he, she will need the votes that Masrala party received in, in, in the Congress in order to achieve a simple majority. Together, they'll have about 65 seats in a 128-seat Congress, Ooh. unicameral Congress. And 65, as you can, as you can tell by the math, is just a bare majority. And so it is going to be, it is going to be very, uh, very tight. As you write that the new president will confront significant challenges and, and having that lack of, I mean, just a, a bare majority in the House, boy, that's going to be uh, rather difficult indeed. And there's so yep. many other situations. And for those who may have just tuned in, Bert Cohen here, the show is Keeping Democracy Alive. Our guest today is Orlando Perez, a uh, who is dean of the School of Liberal Arts and Sciences at the University of North Texas at Dallas. We're talking about an earthquake in Honduras. No, not that kind of earthquake, a political earthquake. And, you know, I, there is the U.S. I mean, it's a big uh, factor in all this and has been for a long time. I mean, for many decades, the United States referred to all of what I call Mesoamerica as our backyard. I think that's incredibly insulting. And I, I, I guess... Our backyard, you know, sort of justifies the United Fruit Company going in there and doing what it will. And in 1954 in Guatemala, they, you know, they just have done that a long time. But what about 2009? You know, I thought with the election of Barack Obama, things would be different. Things would be different. But then just about as soon as he took office, there was this coup in, in 2009, which I do believe Hillary Clinton, who was then Secretary of State, kind of signed on to what what was the uh the the new government that that came in as a result of that and and you know just any uh there must have been a lot of lingering feelings about that as you say uh Zelayistas or whatever but uh, tell us about that that 2009 coup and did the people of Honduras expect a different policy i know i sure did uh well, I, uh, yes, certainly they expect a different uh, a different policy and a, and a different approach to uh, to to this newly uh, elected government that 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 has a significant mandate. Uh, Two thousand nine is 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 very interesting uh, because I, I I mentioned already that Manuel Zelaya uh, won in two thousand five as a traditional liberal party candidate. Nobody, nobody guessed, nobody thought that he was going to move to the left. Uh, 
But I think he was influenced by what was happening in Venezuela, perhaps what was happening in, in, in Nicaragua, the, 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 the early process of the return of Daniel Ortega to, to power in 2006. Um, and, and I think he, uh, from a political standpoint, he wanted to, uh, to, to become more independent of the entrenched interests that controlled both the liberal and the national party and, and Honduran economy. And so he sought to build uh, a kind of independent identity and an independent movement behind him. Um, and the way to do that in a place like Honduras, as he saw it, was to move uh, in a progressive and in a, and in a left fashion. And so I mentioned uh, the, the rise in, in uh, the minimum wage and I mentioned uh, you know, the land titling uh, program, uh, and he moved. He, he moved to 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 um, uh, join um, ALBA, the 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 Bolivarian Alliance for the Americas, uh, the sort of counter Chavez's counter to uh, NAFTA and and right. and the U.S. economic model in 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 the in the region. This, of course, meant uh, uh, you know this this of course did not sit well with you know, the economic elites and, 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 and those that controlled uh, the, the, the Honduran economy. Uh, it didn't necessarily sit well with, uh, with uh, the, the, the U.S. Uh-huh. Uh, either, uh, because, of course, uh, you know, we, we saw Honduras as, 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 as part of, as, as you said, our backyard or one of our closest allies and partners in allies and, 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 and partners in the in Central America. And we had very close relations with uh, with the country. So any any kind of movement towards a foreign policy that did not align itself with the United States was going to raise um, mm. uh, you know, concerns in in, in Washington. Uh-huh. Uh, I think the kicker for for Celaya was that he tried to change the constitution. He wanted to hold a referendum. There was going to be elections that year anyway. There was scheduled elections for 2009 in November, uh, and um, and he he wanted to hold a parallel referendum with the national elections uh, to to ask Hondurans whether. Um, whether they wanted to change the constitution to allow presidential re-election. Well, uh, you know, not to bore you and, and your readers, it's a complex issue that relates to how the constitution of Honduras treats uh, presidential re-election and the fact that it doesn't have uh, an impeachment uh, process. Mm-hmm. And so it, it got really convoluted uh, towards the end. He, um, he tried to remove the the head of the the army, which didn't help with, you know, the army. Uh, And there were all sorts of bureaucratic intricacies involved. And in the end, the the military decided they had had enough, as they had done many times before, and they arrested him in the middle of the night and flew him out uh, in his pajamas um, uh, to uh, Costa Rica first, and then he eventually was in exile uh, in the Dominican Republic for a couple of years. So, uh, so it was it was a combination of his uh, of of his policies that that uh, challenged 
entrenched economic interests in Honduras and challenged uh, U.S. hegemony in uh, in the region and in and, and in Honduras. Um, I, I think to be fair to the United States and to be fair to uh, Secretary Clinton and President Obama, they they did make some attempts. Uh, I don't think strong enough uh, or sustained enough to um, to reverse. Uh, the the coup. They they uh, they did make statements against the coup. They did withdraw the ambassador. They did uh, uh, try to to impose sanctions on the on the new interim government. Um, but in the end, I think the United States, as it usually does mm. in the region, um, uh, essentially let. Uh, its its um, economic and uh, national security interests over uh, you know uh, uh, overcome uh, its its desire to promote democracy and human rights and 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 so you know once the elections of two thousand nine were held and the national party won those elections which was to be expected given the, the circumstances and given the fact that the Salaya people uh, basically abstained and he was not allowed to, to, right. to, to run in that election. Um, you know, the United States just took the path of least resistance, which it often does, <laughs> and and accepted uh, the, the victory then of Porfirio Lombo. Uh, and then eventually in 2013 and 2017 of Juan Orlando uh, Hernandez. Juan Orlando Hernandez is an interesting character because he was very much involved in the coup. It, this was not just a military coup. It was a it was a it was a civilian slash military coup because there were many civilians uh, in the economic elites, in the national and the liberal parties that egged the military on, that supported the military. And one of them was Juan Orlando Hernandez, who at the time was the president of the National Congress. Um, and he pretty much uh, maneuvered so that the Congress retroactively uh, sort of issued this proclamation removing Salaya uh, uh, from office, basically saying ridiculous stuff, saying that, you know, he had abandoned the presidential office. Uh, well, he didn't abandon the presidential office. He was literally arrested in the middle of the night and taken out of the country. But you know, um, so he's been involved. He was in, he was deeply involved in the coup, and then he was deeply involved. He's been deeply involved in you know political machinations uh, throughout these last twelve years, and of course, the last eight years as as president. Well, and you know, it seems like in many countries in which the poverty rate is very high. The opportunities for an incidence of corruption is also very high. What kind of corruption has there been in Honduras in the last presidency? And oftentimes, we, yeah, well, well, oftentimes we see reformers coming in saying they're going to clean out uh, uh, corruption, and then they become corrupt. Uh, what's your sense about that? How how bad is the corruption? Oh, it's 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 bad. It's very bad. It's systemic. Uh, I think it's at every at, at, at every level of, of, of government and every level of state. Uh, and you're looking at, you know, manipulation of government contracts, kickbacks, embezzlement of of of, of government funds, 
use of state funds to finance political campaigns, uh, hmm. drug money that's that comes in to finance political parties, uh, bribe taking, bribe offering. So what can she do about that? That's that. I mean, well, geez. <laughs> Yeah, that's a that's a that's a great question, and it's and it's and it's a and it's a tough nut to crack. Uh, she um, she has said that uh, she wants to establish or reestablish a an international um, uh, commission, uh, you know, sponsored by the United Nations uh, to investigate uh, corruption uh, charges. Uh, against, against uh, well, against uh, you know high high profile uh, politicians and and economic elites and et cetera in the private sector, the model she's using is 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 a is an international commission uh-huh. that was established in Guatemala. It was the International yeah. Commission Against Impunity in Guatemala, uh-huh. C I C I G. It's um, its acronym, uh, and this was sponsored by the UN, and it was it, it was it's it, it's now defunct uh, because the previous government to the current Guatemalan government essentially did not renew its mandate uh, because it had been very successful. In fact, <laughs> the CCC was responsible for the for the fact that um, that a previous Honduran president and vice president are both in jail uh, at at the moment. Uh, Otto Perez Molina, um, you know, who was prosecuted for or who is being prosecuted for corruption. So it was very successful. And of course, it, it stepped on a lot of toes. And in the end, they they took it down. Um, Honduras had a had a similar weaker commission uh, sponsored by the OAS. It was never as strong as the CICIG. Um but it too was was uh, was was uh, you know it's now defunct because uh, in I think it was in December of 2020 the Congress basically withdrew its mandate partly because the the commission and this in in Honduras it was sponsored by the OAS not the UN right. uh, the commission had actually singled out a number of congressmen and women who were uh, extremely corrupt. Uh, and so Congress took action to defund it, and uh, it withdrew its its mandate because, of course, these international commissions operate um, at the behest of and with the permission of the local government Ew. because, of course, of yeah. sovereignty rights. Uh-huh. So she has said that she wants to establish a a a commission as strong as the one in. Um, as strong as the one in uh, in uh, Guatemala. Guatemala, that'll be a good that'll be a good step. Ah, interesting. Uh, I think she needs I think she needs to um, to reform the entire process of government procurement. Uh, you know how government uh, uh, you know doles out uh, services and contracts, uh, and how those contracts are evaluated. That's a big big problem um but so there's has, a lot of work yeah, to be done if it has teeth they can perhaps actually do something for those who may have just tuned in we're talking about a political earthquake in honduras where a uh, leftist uh, woman just became president by a significant margin and uh there is 
some sort of a return to democracy there. Our guest today is Orlando Perez, Dean of the School of Liberal Arts and Sciences at the University of North Texas at Dallas. And there's always this like a sort of octopus, the International Monetary Fund. They've long had tremendous political and economic power throughout the world in developing nations. The foreign debt in Honduras is about 57% of the country's gross domestic product. That's huge. How have their lending policies affected Honduras, and how, what what can uh, Castro's new government do about that? How, can it be addressed, or are they beyond reach? Uh, well, they're not beyond reach, but but it's 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 tricky and it's difficult. I mean, I think the effect has been significant, uh, mostly because of the conditionalities, as you know, that are put on these loans. Uh, yes. These loans uh, are not made. Um, I mean, they're, they're 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 not free in the sense that they they do they are interest bearing in many cases, but they're not free beyond that because they they come with conditions conditions yes. on. On 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 certain policy, uh, uh, adopting certain policies, and normally these policies um, tend to uh, require governments to reduce government spending, uh, shrink the size of the state, uh, right. except which are which which <laughs> which are things that do not help right. the, the the underlying problems Absolutely. of these kinds of factors. So, uh, you know. The tricky part is that uh, that international financing uh, is necessary and essential. Uh, you know, there are few alternatives uh, at this time for a country like Honduras um, to finance, uh, you know, its infrastructure projects, sure, sure. Uh, its social welfare state. Uh, and so without IMF support, other lending uh, institutions both international lending institutions and private lending institutions might might freeze out Take Honduras, look, yeah. and that's the that's the catch twenty two. Um, I suspect that Mrs. Castro will not confront the IMF directly, at least initially. Uh, but I think what she will try to do, or what I would hope she would try to do, is to uh, to to work with the IMF to renegotiate yeah. some of the conditionalities. Uh, and get some better terms, uh, both for uh, existing loans and for future uh, loans. She may, you know, she may want to uh, negotiate a moratorium on 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 repayments. She may want to work with the U.S. to um, uh, to, to 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 help finance some of this debt. Uh, you know. She she does have to deal with this this debt, which is which is a which is a big problem and a big um, millstone around uh, the the neck of the of the Honduran people. Yeah, this unsupportable debt is boy, it's really absolutely is really hard on the on the people who can least afford it. And you know, there's the U.S., there's the IMF, there's various different uh, centers of of capital that can make loans. Uh, that are necessary. One of the emerging big boys is China. The U.S. is not exactly on friendly terms with them and, and backs the government in Taiwan. 
But China is all over the world now, notably heading up economic development of sorts in Africa. And you suggest that her tilting toward China would be strategically smart. Please explain. Uh, absolutely. So I, I, I think so. So Honduras is one of the one of the last remaining countries in in Central America and and really uh, all of Latin America and the world really that has uh, that has diplomatic relations with Taiwan as a as an independent country. Now every other country, you know, including the United States, right, recognizes that um, that. Taiwan essentially uh, belongs to China, and they have relations with the with the PRC. Um, there are economic interests in in Honduras that are that are tied to Taiwan trade and Taiwan assistance. But I think it is smart because all of her neighbors uh, have moved in that direction, and the potential for Chinese investment is you know, significantly more than any resources that they would be getting or loans that they would be getting from Taiwan. It just doesn't make sense from a geopolitical, from an economic, from a strategic uh, point of view. What's 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 interesting and and what is uh, apparently uh, going on right now is that um, there's there's there seems to be the latest I've heard is that there seems to be some tension uh, within the the coalition uh, that is backing uh, uh, Mrs. Castro um, uh, as to whether how fast to move in the direction of China. So uh, apparently uh, the the Newswire Reuters uh, published a story on, uh, I think it was December 2, that quoted Nasrallah, uh, her vice presidential running mate, um, as basically saying that uh, that that no that 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 uh, Honduras was not going to move in the direction of of China. Uh, apparently, he's quoted as saying there are no relations with China. Relations continue with Taiwan. Uh, our trade ally, our close ally, our historical ally is the U.S. We don't want to fight with the U.S. The U.S. is our main uh, trade ally, and then uh, some other. Folks in her coalition um, have said that you know there, there there's no ramping up of China relations uh, as the conditions for that do not exist. So it's 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 an it's interesting it's an interesting development that they seem to be backing away. I I think I think eventually uh, it's the smart move. I think yeah. eventually it's the strategic uh, move. And I think what they're trying to do is um, is allay the fears in Washington of this move, and mm. maybe uh, you know once they're in power, they can you know they can work with uh, they can reassure DC that that this this move um, is not going to mean a a a, a uh, an abandonment right. of, of the relations with the U.S., but actually a, a uh, an enhancement of Honduras's uh, geopolitical uh, relations uh, globally. Um, but it's but it's but it's interesting that um, they're, they're they're not as 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 uh, as supportive. Uh, of this move as as they seem to have been uh, mm. during the 
during the elections. Well, it's it's tough when there's a big bully to the north. Pardon me for criticizing yes, my country. But... Well, no, that is that is absolutely true. And I think, frankly, she she um, everything I've seen uh, from her, uh, you know, during the elections and particularly after the elections, uh, indicates to me that that she is being very smart and pragmatic politically and she understands the the conditionalities uh and the situation that she is confronting and that um making enemies that you have to pick your battles you have yes. to pick who you're going to uh you know what hill you're going to die on and 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 that you know establishing uh good relations with the, the the new U.S. administration and getting their support is vital if she's going to be able to confront entrenched interests domestically. And that the China issue may be something for the second year or the third year uh, of her administration and that there's no rush uh, in, in that particular uh, situation. One of the problems she's going to confront is that uh, for example, while her husband in 2007, uh, uh, 8, and 9 was able to rely on Venezuelan oil right. and Venezuelan subsidies for assistance, Venezuela is in no condition today to, to do that uh, because of the sanctions and because of uh, the, the, the economic situation in, uh, in Venezuela. And, and, and frankly, because of some of the mismanagement uh, of, of, of the Venezuelan government uh, as well. So, so, so she, is, she is short of international allies beyond uh, the, the United States. Mm. Um, you know, she can, she, can, she can turn to China, but China, China's investment, China's uh, assistance is going to pale initially in comparison to right. the hundreds of millions of dollars that she that they receive from the United States and the billions of dollars of trade that the U.S. relationship uh, represents. Well, let's ask about you know the the uh, gorilla in the room, President Joe Biden, and and the United States. I, I, there's, I mean, there's the. Uh, uh, Tackling the conditions that lead to migration, I wonder if I mean there's been some talk by uh, Vice President uh, Harris about uh, tackling the the tremendous poverty that that forces people to to migrate to uh, the United States. Is there any sense that Castro and Biden will be able to cooperate to tackle those conditions, or is there no sign of that as yet? It is early. It is very early. Uh, you know, hope springs eternal, as they say, and I am hopeful that 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 something can be worked out. Uh, I mean, one of the problems that the administration is confronting is that um, it, it's it, the 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 number of reliable allies in that region for our anti-corruption strategy uh, is is thin. Uh, you know, we, we don't have good relations with Nicaragua. We, we, we're having worsening relations with El Salvador. 
Um, Honduras, uh, uh, you know, Honduras uh, is is what it is, and 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 Guatemala, uh, you know, has a government that says the right things, but Guatemala is probably, if you can believe it, probably more corrupt uh, and more. Uh, penetrated by illicit networks than than even Honduras is. The number of of reliable allies in this anti-corruption policy are 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 thin. So I think the administration is going to hope that Xiomara uh, Castro de Salaya is is serious about anti-corruption uh, movements. Uh, the 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 Biden administration, uh, I'm sure you know, uh, has put up about four billion dollars for their Central American strategy. It's not nearly enough, but but in the context of D.C., that's that's a lot of money. And it's certainly uh, and it just recently within the last two days, two or three days, issued a, a, a strategy paper on their anti-corruption policy mm-hmm. that says the right things, uh, moves in the right directions, you know, additional uh, sanctions, additional financing, additional investigations. Uh, etc. Uh, the, the the tricky part is always which toes do you step on? Who do you go after? And she's going to have to play a, a, a very savvy political mm. game. She, she yes, she has a mandate. Right. Yes, she she won a significant victory, and that's going to give her a honeymoon. But those licit and illicit entrenched interests are not going away. They're there, uh, and they're going to try to trip her up. They're going to try to mm. penetrate her. They're going and and unfortunately, you know, there are already uh, floating around accusations of some of you know of some of her uh, people not being on the up and up in, on everything. And 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 so she's going to have to she's going to have to decide. She's going to have to decide, am I serious about changing Honduras from a platform for corruption and drug trafficking and violence and crime and money laundering uh, and contraband? And in so doing, do I have to essentially uh, go after even some of my supporters and and be transparent and accountable? Um, it, it's hard. It, it's a hard situation. I think the International Commission... Uh, would be very, very helpful. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, and, and maybe that will help shore up democracy itself. I mean, this is a real victory for democracy here, but it Absolutely. remains fragile in Honduras. It, it ain't over yet. Uh, I, I'll say this. I'll sure. say this on the U.S. Uh, you know, I, I, I think, you know, I said, you know, hope springs eternal. The the administration has some good people uh, doing their Latin American policy. I, 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 you know, I have to say, you know, Juan Gonzalez at the NSC, uh, Brian Nichols, the deputy assistant secretary of state for Western Hemisphere Affairs. These are talented folks. They huh. know, um, you know, they 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 know the region. They've worked in the region. They are not. They're not political. You know, they are policy people. They understand the complexity of the region, but again, a lot depends on whether they're willing to take politically difficult decisions. Yeah. Whether he, whether the president can get congressional cooperation, yeah. uh, which right now, right now, one of the key problems they're having is that a whole bunch of ambassadorial positions all over Latin America, in fact, all over the world, 
including Honduras, which has not had a, an ambassador, a confirmed ambassador since 2017, um, uh, are, are, being, are, are, are not being confirmed. They're being held up by essentially senators Ted Cruz and, and Marco Rubio, uh, who are simply blocking the confirmation of nominees, and it's and it's uh, it's it's horrendous. It is, you and you can't run a foreign policy without um, without having ambassadors in in country. And it's not going to work if you don't respect the other people. You know, the U.S. has been patronizing, uh, you know, for that region for so very long. A little right. bit of respect would go a long way. And I agree. perhaps some of the Biden people uh, recognize that. And, you know, there's been sort of a left movement here and there, little glimpses of it. In Peru, uh, last June, school teacher Pedro Castillo, a leftist from the rural countryside, was elected as its new president. A small margin. He's faced a number of crises. He just beat back an impeachment vote in Bolivia. The leftist protege of Eva Morales is now president. In Germany, Olaf Scholz is the new chancellor, and he's openly welcoming a left in Germany. What's happening in Honduras? Do you see any realistic sign that it's part of a global shift to the left in the face of fairly recent worrisome gains by anti-democratic, authoritarian, far-right. What's going on, do you think? Is it part of taking on the uh, authoritarian far-right? I think think it's part of that. I think it's part of a pendulum. Ah. Uh, I think each case is is different and driven by specific contexts. You know, I I, I think what is happening is that there's a trend against incumbents. There's a trend against... Uh, sitting presidents, and to the extent that incumbents and sitting presidents and sitting parties are conservative right wing, then the pushback obviously favors the progressive uh, left. Uh-huh. Um, what I think we're seeing, which I think is is very positive, is democracy working. The, you know, it, it, which you, you see uh, election results being respected. You see people participating. You see, you, you see change happening as a result of, of democracy. And it's interesting because, of course, we talk about how much under threat democracy is here in the United States. Yes. And, and, and I agree with that. Uh, but I think there are glimmers of hope uh, in the world, um, you mentioned the the new chancellor of uh, of, of Germany, uh, Olaf uh, Scholz. Yes. Um, and and I would caution. Uh, I would put a word of caution about him because while he's a social democrat, um, and certainly probably to the left of Chancellor Angela Merkel, you have to remember that that he he has served as her finance minister and and deputy chancellor in the grand coalition government. This is an anti-incumbency, an anti-establishment move. I think people have been alienated and and feel alienated. I think the pandemic uh, has contributed to this uh, anti-incumbent move. And to the extent that that incumbents are right-wing conservative forces, then, then the pushback you know, favors the left. I think we'll see that in 2022 in the elections in Brazil. Uh, I think Lula, 
Uh, yeah. Luis Ignacio Lula da Silva is uh, is the leading candidate to replace uh, Bolsonaro. That'd be nice. Well, let me just ask. I know. One, yeah, one last question. What does all this matter to your average United States citizen? Well, if if the pandemic has taught us anything, is that we live in an interconnected world, right? What happens in other parts of the world affects us on a day-to-day basis, whether it's migration, trade, supply chains, oil prices, pandemics, COVID, social conflict, economic development. What happens in these countries affects our daily lives, even if we don't, uh, even if we don't realize and see it. As far as Honduras. Right. Honduras in particular and Honduras is concerned, you know, the country is one of the major sources of migrants yes. to this country. Yes. And so what happens there uh, impacts our country in very uh, di- indirect ways. So I would say, why does it matter? Uh, because we don't l- we don't live in a vacuum. Uh, we don't live alone in the world. And what happens in these countries has an impact on the way we live, on the way we um, you know, uh, travel, uh, on our health, uh, on, on our daily lives, on things that we, ca- that we care about on a day-to-day basis. And on our international reputation as a country as well. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. Ab- well, absolutely. And the United States is a global uh, player and, and therefore has to have a global outlook. Indeed. Orlando Perez, thank you so much for shedding light into this uh, hopeful uh, development in Honduras. Thank you so much for being with us and keeping democracy alive. It's good to see democracy happening. (laughs) Well, thank you very much, Bert. It was a pleasure. Backed by the guns of market-hungry military profiteers Whose word is a swamp and whose brow is smeared with the blood of the poor Who rob life of its quality Who render rage a necessity By turning countries into labor camps Modern slavers and drag as champions of freedom And cynical instrument who makes the gun into a sacrament. The only response to the deification of tyranny by so called developed nations, idolatry of ideology. North, south, east, west, kill the best and buy the rest. It's just spend a buck to make a buck. You don't really give a flying fuck about the people in misery IMF, dirty MF, takes away everything it can get Always making certain that there's one thing left Keep them on the hook with these affordable debt We are keeping democracy alive. Subscribe, don't miss a single one, on the website, Apple Podcast, Spotify, or Stitcher.